0: All right, how many of you come to church for a lesson in cattle ranching? All right, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21, we'll begin in verse 28. Yes, children may be dismissed to children's church, thank you. During the Sunday school hour, Trav, Leonard, and I sometimes have too much fun, because we don't have any teenagers that come, which is sad, but we are in there waiting for teenagers to show up, and we talk about everything under the sun, and today was no exception. I've been playing with artificial intelligence recently, and Trav and I were having fun, or I was doing it and getting his input. And AI, artificial intelligence, wrote, wrote this little poem for us this morning. And yes, I did not write this. I gave it some ideas what to write, but I didn't write it. This is a poem for you. Pastor Brent's absence leaves a hole. We miss his sermons, his wise console. But Josiah's words we must condole, as we sit through them without a goal. He takes the pulpit with unsure feet and speaks of cattle with tedious beep, a lesson in ranching we cannot meet as we yearn for Pastor Brent's seat. Though not the usual sermon fare, Josiah's teachings we cannot bear, for in these words we find despair as we long for Pastor Brent's care. Though some may try to listen and engage, the rest of us, are in a silent rage. As we wish for Pastor Brent's soothing stage, and not Josiah's cattle ranching page. (laughs) Alright. A lesson in cattle ranching. Exodus chapter 21. You should have had time to find it by now. Exodus 21, beginning in verse 28. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be quit, or shall be innocent. But if the ox were wont to push, in other words, he gored, he was known to gore with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, But that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push or gore a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver. and the ox shall be stoned. All right, let us pray, and then we will get into this very unique portion of Scripture. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these five verses and for the truths, for the principles that they teach us. Help us to go away from here this morning encouraged challenged, whatever it is that we might need, we ask it in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It might seem strange to you that we are looking at five verses that give us a lesson in cattle ranching, and specifically in what to do if your ox kills someone. How many of you here this morning have any experience whatsoever in cattle ranching? Okay, that's actually more than I expected. I have no experience whatsoever. But let's get a little closer to home here. How many of you have ever had to worry about an ox killing someone? I don't see any hands raised on that one. So, how is this going to be relevant for us today? That's my problem. Uh, Well, first we must begin understanding the Old Testament law, as a unit, is not binding on us as New Testament believers, all right? And I don't think there's a lot of debate there on these verses, because I don't think any of you are concerned about your ox killing someone and what to do about it. This is a part of the Mosaic Law called the Book of the Covenant. It covers Exodus chapters 21 through 23. But the entirety of the Old Testament Law, what we have in Exodus, what we have in Leviticus, what we have in Deuteronomy, the entirety of the Old Testament Law was given to the nation of Israel And it's, therefore, it's specific. They're a nation. We're not a nation. The church is not a nation. It's specific to their setting, to their special role as a lighthouse to other nations. Yes, we in the New Testament are to be a lighthouse to others, but not as a nation to other nations. So our role is different in what God has us doing. Because of that difference between Israel and the New Testament church, we cannot just take those Old Testament laws and automatically apply them to our lives. But those commands do still have relevance for us. And what is that relevance? The relevance is this. The God who gave those Old Testament laws, the God of the Old Testament, is the same God that we serve the same God. The sinful human heart that those laws were addressed to is the same sinful heart that you and I have apart from the indwelling spirit of Christ. So we must ask then, when we come to obscure laws like this, what do these laws show us about who God is, about who we are, and about how God wants to change us from who we are to becoming more like Him. That is how we should approach a portion of Scripture like this. What do these five verses teach us that is as true today as it was for the original recipients of these laws? And this is an important distinction to make. If someone preaches something from a portion... That the original recipients of that law or that, who are reading that portion of scripture, if they couldn't get that interpretation from it, probably not the right interpretation. So what is the truth? As true today as it was for those original recipients, I'd suggest the following. The Lord holds every one of us accountable for our own actions the lord holds every one of us accountable for our own actions for our own wrong doings our god is impartial in his justice and here in exodus chapter 21 verses 28 through 32 we see two arenas and yes i chose the word arenas on purpose two arenas in which God's impartiality is evident. first arena that we see is the perpetrator's identity. The identity of the one who the Lord holds accountable. The one who has done the wrong. And here is that arena. The Lord holds us accountable regardless of who we are. We'll see this in verses 28 through Thirty. Let us read those verses again. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall surely shall be surely stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. So in these verses, we see that the Lord holds both the ox and the ox's owner accountable for their own actions, for their individual wrongdoing. The ox is not held responsible for the wrongdoing of its owner, nor is the owner held responsible for the wrongdoing of the ox. Each re- is responsible for his own actions. And we have a term that we use to, for that. It is personal responsibility. You are accountable for your own actions. We are only accountable for our own wrongdoing not for the wrongdoing of someone else. Look with me again at verse 28. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall surely be stoned. So we got this general command. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox must be put to death, and its meat should not be eaten. So the ox is responsible for its actions. Now, I don't think Scripture is saying that an ox has morality that an ox thinks about whether it's going to kill somebody and it has hatred in its heart or any of that. It's simply saying an ox killed someone, someone who was created in the image of God, and that ox therefore deserves to die. All right? Even an animal does not get off free if it does wrong, especially this kind of a wrong of killing someone. Justice must be served. But in the second part of the verse, we see, the owner of the ox shall be quit, or shall be innocent. The owner of this ox doesn't know that the ox is going to kill someone. He doesn't know that the ox is dangerous. Therefore, he is not held accountable for his ox's actions. But then in verse 29 we see a scenario in which the ox's owner does know that his ox is dangerous. Look at verse 29 with me again. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past. In other words, if it was known that this ox was dangerous and that he had gored people before. And it hath been testified to his owner. The owner has been warned. And he hath not kept him in but that he hath killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, same punishment for the ox. The ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Now the owner of the ox also shares in the accountability, because he knew that the ox was dangerous, and he did nothing about it. He did not prevent this killing of a man or a woman from happening, when he could have. He was complicit in the wrongdoing of his ox and we too are accountable for any wrongdoing with which we are complicit. If we have the opportunity to know about some wrongdoing and the opportunity to stop that wrongdoing and yet we turn a blind eye to it, we look the other way, we too are accountable for that wrongdoing. Perhaps today, I know that some of you work in the trades. You're a skilled worker and you're responsible for ensuring that a certain part of a property or a certain part of a building is constructed properly. If part of that construction fails, who is held responsible? might require some kind of an investigation to figure that out. Was it the fault of the construction worker? Perhaps, but perhaps not. Perhaps it was faulty materials from a supplier, right? That could be the case. The supplier would then be responsible for that failure, for any injuries resulting from it. But what about this? What if you, as the construction worker, knew that the materials were faulty and yet you chose to use them anyways? Who's responsible then? Both, right? The company that produced them, they're they're responsible for producing faulty materials. But the person who knows about it and doesn't say anything, is also responsible. You and I are accountable for any wrongdoing with which we are complicit. But then look at verse 30. There's some hope here. Verse 30, If there be laid on him a sum of money, Then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Legally, this man deserved to die. His ox had killed someone, and he knew that his ox was dangerous, but he hadn't prevented this ox from killing someone. He deserved to die. But God puts a loophole in the law. He says that those who are exacting the justice don't have to kill him. They can provide, there can be a ransom option, a redemption option, where the man can buy back his life. Now, there's no set price here. And this isn't even an obligation. Because legally, he deserved death. And those exacting the justice, whether that's family of the victim, whoever it might be, might say, you deserve to die, you're going to die. But there's the option that they could lay on him, if there be laid on him, a sum of money. They could set a price and say, if you pay me this much money, we'll give you your life. And they don't say how much money, because it could be the highest amount of money possible and it would still not equal the value of a human life. They could set that amount as high or as low as they desired. But this is an opportunity for the family, friends of the victim to show mercy to this owner of the ox. He shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Now, you should notice that the ox doesn't have this option. The ox doesn't get the option of paying his way out of it. Only humans get that option. Because humans are created in the image of God. Humans have the ability to change. Change their ways. Humans can receive mercy and they can change because of it. So I'm going to draw a parallel here to what the Lord Jesus does for us. It is a similar and yet such a so much greater way that the Lord has made us, has made a way for us to be spared from the death that we deserve. The Bible tells us that all people have sinned, that the consequence of our sin is death, not just physical death. This this ox's owner deserved physical death. We don't just deserve physical death because of our sin. We deserve eternal separation from God, separation from him now while we're here on this earth, and separation from him forever. In a place called the Lake of Fire. We are accountable for our sins, for the wrong things that we do, yet Jesus displayed his mercy to us by dying in our place on the cross of Calvary. Though we are wrongdoers, he extends mercy to us. Though we deserve to die, we have the opportunity to live. Even in the death of Jesus, God's justice is on display. You look at this passage in Exodus, and you could say, is justice actually being served here if the person gets off without giving their life? Well, we could argue that one back and forth the ox was killed the man had to pay him some of money but when jesus came justice was fully satisfied there was a life given in death in place of your life being taken in death justice was satisfied god's justice He does not let anyone get off free. Your sins must be punished. But the question is, are you going to be punished for your sins, or are you going to accept that Jesus was punished for your sins? The only difference between what's happening here in Exodus and what happened with Jesus dying on the cross is that Jesus took the punishment in the stead, in the place, of the guilty one. God is still impartial in his judgment. He holds us accountable regardless of who we are. So it doesn't matter who you are, the Lord will hold you accountable. But let's consider a second arena of God's impartiality, and that is the Lord holds us accountable regardless of whom we sin against. Not only of whom we are, but whom we sin against. Not only the perpetrator of the offense, but the victim of the offense. And the first part of this, we've already looked at this, but in verse verse 28, we just went right past it without stopping to talk about it. If an ox gore a man or a woman. Did you notice something in there? If an ox gore a man or a woman. There's, the Lord is teaching us something in this law code. That is that men and women are created equal in their value before God. And we ought to treat men and women as being of equal value. The Lord makes no distinction in these verses between what happens if an ox coars a man or if an ox gores a woman. In both cases, punishment is the same. The ox is to be killed, and if the owner is complicit in the action, he also should be killed. Now this was countercultural in the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, men were dominant. I don't think that's a surprise to you. Ancient Near Eastern cultures may perhaps have prescribed that if an ox killed someone and the owner was complicit in it, perhaps the ox's owner's wife might be killed. But not the ox's owner. Not not if a lady was killed by the ox. You would not kill a man for a lady being killed. You might kill his wife, but you wouldn't kill the man. That was ancient Near Eastern culture. And I don't know that there's an exact parallel to this law in their culture. But but that is the way that they thought. And the same goes when we come to verse 30. Excuse me, verse 31. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. Same thing would happen in ancient Near Eastern cultures. If your ox killed someone, and you knew about it, or excuse me, if your ox killed someone's son, or someone's daughter, if it killed a child, and you knew about it, you were complicit in the action, then your son or your daughter might be killed. But you would not be killed. That is the way that the ancient Near East thought. And that is wrong thinking, unbiblical thinking because whether you're a male or a female, whether you're a child or an adult, you are created in the image of God. You have equal value before God. We come then to verse 32. Verse 32 is a little bit more difficult. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Again, let's talk about what is clear here. A manservant and a maidservant are considered as equals to each other. So gender is not the issue here. Gender is not a determining factor in a person's value. We could have said the same on verse 31, a son or a daughter. But what about the value of slaves in comparison to free people? There's this extra 30 shekels of silver thrown in there that just makes us wonder what's going on. And that 30 shekels of silver would be approximately the amount a laborer would make in four months in their culture. Alright? Four months wages. That is given to the slave's master if he is killed by your ox. But there are two possible ways that you, we could read this law. One is, this is a set standard. If an ox kills ...someone's slave, the ox is to be stoned, you give him 30 shekels of silver, and that's it. And there's no consideration of whether the owner was complicit in the action or not, and therefore the the owner of the ox will not be killed because there's no consideration of it. That's one way of taking this law. I don't think that is the correct way of viewing this law. Because I don't think that is a, a good understanding of law in the Old Testament generally. The law was not intended like our U.S. laws to be statutory. In our country, there are specific laws of, say, what we can do, what we can't do. But if I do something that isn't clearly defined in the laws, then the courts are going to give me some grace. And they're going to say, well, that, the law didn't say he couldn't do that. Well, the Old Testament law wasn't intended to be like that. The Old Testament law was intended that if God gave you a principle, you apply that principle in other situations of life beyond the command he gave you. So, would the principles in verses 28 through 30 also apply In verse 32, I think they would. So I think the 30 shekels of silver is something that is on top of everything else. So if the slave is killed by the ox, you have to give them 30 shekels of silver. Your ox has to be stoned. But if the ox's owner was complicit in the action, he also would be killed along with the 30 shekels of silver given to the slave's owner. So if anything, this is greater consequences for the slave, not lesser. That's the way that I read it. And if you have insight into why it should be otherwise, feel free to let me know after the sermon. So then we have to ask, What was the purpose of those 30 shekels of silver? Why were they necessary? And really, that is asking the question of how do we grapple with the reality of slavery in the Bible? Slavery was a sad reality in the biblical world. And the Lord made many laws regarding it to keep masters from oppressing their slaves. There were laws that said if you had a slave, you're supposed to let a slave of the Jewish people, you're supposed to let him go after seven years and not hold any obligations against him. There were all sorts of rules to maintain slavery. But nowhere in Scripture does... God commands slavery. Nowhere does he endorse slavery. But I think what we have here is a recognition that slavery existed. As sad as that is. And, and we should also make this point. Slavery in the Bible is not racially based. Slavery in the Bible is not necessarily cruel. In some cases, slavery was out of debt, I can't pay my bills so I am going to put myself in slavery to someone while I bring myself up, get myself out of debt. So it was not always, it did not always have the bad connotations that we put with slavery. But here, these 30 shekels of silver, I think that it is a recognition not only is a human killed, Human, created in the image of God, has been killed. Therefore, life is required, or death is required, of whoever was responsible for that death. Whether that's just the ox, whether that is the ox as well as the owner. But the 30 shekels shows us that there was a master out there that owned that slave who's also being put out by the slave's death. And four months wages is not a lot to pay someone for the loss of their slave, but it's reasonable. So I think that's what we have going on here. It's not an endorsement of slavery. It's simply a recognition that it exists and how to work with it in that world. Importantly, This giving of 30 shekels does not suggest that a slave was any less of a human than were the free persons in verses 28 through 31. Because as we said, the death of a slave, it seems, actually required more consequences than the death of a free person. That brings us to our conclusion this morning. We have seen that the Lord holds every one of us accountable for our own actions or for our own wrongdoings. Regardless of who we are, regardless of whom we sinned against, God will be just, and he will be impartial in his judgment. Perhaps today you are in a position where you need to accept the responsibility that God has given you. You need to take accountability for what the Lord has given you accountability in. Certainly, every one of us is accountable before God to live by what He commands. Perhaps you need to take responsibility for that this morning and understand that you fall short, that you, apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope of satisfying God's justice. God's justice will be served either in your death, eternal death, or in the death of Jesus Christ in your place. And which are you going to depend on? Are you going to take that justice yourself, or are you going to depend on Jesus to take (coughs) that punishment for you? But for the believers here this morning, We also need to take accountability, to take responsibility for the the responsibilities that we have. We need to step up to our responsibilities. If you are a husband and a father, you are accountable for God, to God, for the leadership of your wife and of your family. If you're a leader in a ministry here at Calvary, you are responsible. You are accountable for that ministry. If you have responsibilities in the workplace, you are accountable to do those responsibilities well. You're accountable before God for how you do your work. So, believers, my challenge for us this morning is this. Step up the responsibilities that God has given us. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will.